0: hallelujah do you believe he's worthy to be praised today why don't we stand to our feet lift our voices and tell god just how wonderful he is come on jesus you're great you're greatly to be praised you're wonderful you're holy you're righteous and mighty god hallelujah we bless you in the name of the lord hallelujah praise god praise god greetings and welcome to all of you who are here in person and all of you joining us online Amen. We honor you in the name of the Lord and bless you. I'm going to direct your attention to the book of Psalms, the 131st Psalm, Psalm 131. Thank you, Lord. And the word of the Lord. This is a song of the degrees of David. We see that from the inscription. It says, Lord... My heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. Praise God. And with the help of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to treach on this thought for the next few minutes, called to be humble. Amen. Let us pray. Father, let the living word preach the written word. Causing my tongue to be the pen of a ready writer that you use to write your word upon our hearts. Open our understanding that we might comprehend the scripture. Cause every rebuke or every hindrance to be rebuked and cast out. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we ask these things and expect these things in the majestic, marvelous, and magnificent name of Jesus Christ. And if you believe that, would you shout, Amen? God bless you. You may be seated. Psalm 131 is a short psalm that many scholars and many expositors ignore or give little attention to. When I found this out studying, it baffled me because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. I'm like, why would we classify something as insignificant when it's all Scripture? But besides that, some these sc- supposed scholars and expositors do not believe that it has any sort of profound significance. Uh, to, again, which I ask, does not all Scripture mean all Scripture? Yet, this small song contrasts faith with fear humility with pride and hope with despair i would say that's pretty significant if you ask me david presents himself vulnerable in psalm 131 calling upon the community of israel to join him in humbling themselves before the lord god and putting their hope in almighty god his example of confidence While repenting and being humble gives comfort to Israel and to trust in God wholeheartedly. David does not give in to the flesh and become prideful. He could have, if he wanted to, I suppose, argued that because of his humble beginnings and now being king, it earned him the right to be proud. Uh, But he didn't do that. He might have argued that writing uh, over a half of the Psalms would give him the right to some sort of pride, but he didn't do that. Instead, David chooses to be humble, exalting God alone, and leading by example for everyone else to follow. So, what does it mean to be called to be humble? Well... It means trusting God humbly, honestly, and hopefully. And that's what we're going to look at today as we explore this psalm. The first point I want to bring out to you is trust God humbly. It's a song of degrees. It's it's one of the songs of ascent. And the reason I've used the word trust here, and of course, obviously, the whole... Message being about being humble is because when they would go up to that place of worship in Jerusalem to the temple and sing and, and quote and read these songs of ascent, it was they needed to remember that if it weren't for the mercy of God, so a, a, a large degree of what they were doing had to be filled with humility. If any of us feel like we have earned, the right to grace, then I highly suggest that before you leave here today, you find an altar where you can repent. Because there's not a single person alive on planet earth who deserves God's grace. Every last one of us have received it through faith that not of ourselves, that He might be glorified, that He might be the one exalted, because it's a gift from God. Amen. Amen. It's not on our works. We can't boast, and neither should we. And so in verse 1, David opens up this psalm by declaring that my heart is not haughty, and my eyes are not lofty, and I don't exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. And so he reveals that he trusts God humbly. His prayer is true and a true humble expression of how he really feels. It's not just words, empty words. It's not arrogant words that it's false humility. There's, there's, he's, he's saying them also for our benefit too. And obviously for the benefit of those who would have been in his day that heard and read this. David's predecessor, Saul, was exact polar opposite. His pride would not allow him to admit his weakness. And eventually, it led to his fall and destruction. When confronted by the man of God, Saul did what Adam did and pointed the finger at other people. When David came to a situation where the man of God confronted him, he did just the opposite. He pointed all of those fingers at himself and took personal and complete responsibility. So David doesn't want to follow in the footsteps of Saul, but rather he wants to present himself vulnerable and humble before God. Now, we understand the haughty heart and the lofty eyes. Those are pretty self-explanatory. That's both the inward and outward element of, of, of pride. A haughty heart, inward, the lofty eyes, the look or the outward of the pride or the behavior of an arrogant person. And he's saying, I don't have either of those. But then he says something that's interesting. He says, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. So here he's admitting that he's finite, that he will never be able to fully comprehend God and his, in his fullness. That God actually really is unsearchable, yeah. meaning you can't get to the end of everything there is to know about God. Because if you feel like you've reached the end, I challenge you to open the next door of revelation and you're going to see there's a whole other world in front of you of things yet to be revealed. And so, this is what he's saying here. It also indicates uh, in the Hebrew that he will never fully grasp or understand God's mercy. David is clearly one who has been the recipient of God's mercy over and over and over. He's deserved death according to the law, but he's received life according to God in the Old Testament. And so he's saying, God, I can't understand this. It's too high for me. It's too, too great for me. Uh, I, don't, I don't even try to exercise myself in such a great matter because I'm finite. You're infinite. It's too high for me. Your thoughts are higher than mine. Your ways are higher than mine. I'm just going to trust you. Remember years ago, we were taking the kids on a vacation. And uh, we were on our way to uh, a general conference, and it was in Columbus, Ohio. And so we took an extra week, and we were going to do some things. We went through Washington, D.C., New York. Uh, went to um, some, what's Hershey Park? And, and um, that was the funnest. I liked all the history. The kids liked the Hershey Park. I wonder why. But, but we had fun, all of it. It was, it was just a great time um, together. And then, of course, wound up in Columbus. And then when we came back, we even did a couple of things. We went to... Um, uh, just outside of Buffalo, there uh, you know the falls, and Niagara Falls, and all that. So anyway, it was just this kind of you know round trip vacation thing. Well, I, Dad, I'm I'm doing all the planning of, you know, okay, we we've got you know budget the gas money and the, and, and the hotel and the food and, you know, buy the park tickets and, and you know, this and that. And so I, I'm, I'm doing all that. And I'm worrying about the car, making sure the oil's been changed and, you know, air tire pressure and all of those things. And I'm taking care of all that stuff. My kids are just worried about getting their toys and getting the car and asking me 42 billion times, are we there yet? I don't recall Braxton or Brooklyn, either one saying, hey, Dad, did you check the oil? Hey, Dad, do you know where you're going? Hey, Dad, uh, is the car okay? Is it in perfect, optimum running condition? You know? Uh, Is the insurance paid in full, Dad? You know? Are you doing the speed? I I don't remember any one of those questions. You know what they did? They trusted that Dad knew what he was doing, and if Dad said, we're on our way to Washington, D.C., that eventually I'm going to be able to say, hey, we're here now, and we're going to be in D.C., Ah. See, trusting God is not trying to figure out all the details. I don't know how mercy works. I can't sit here. I can preach about it. I can quote scriptures about it. But even in, the, in my studious mind, I can't really tell you how it works. I just know it does. And that's what David is saying. I'm not going to try to figure it out because I never will. I'm just going to trust God humbly. What this is saying is he's not going to take it for granted or take advantage of it. He, he's not going in a, in a negative way. He's not going to just sin that grace abounds. He's going to do his best to, to live for God. But he, he has a, an understanding even on that side of Calvary. Even on that side of, of the resurrection. He has an understanding that I have an advocate with the Father. Amen. David obviously predates James by quite a few years, well over a thousand years. David lives out in Psalm 131 what James writes in the fourth chapter of his epistle. I'm going to read today from the New Living Translation on this. James 4, verses 4 through 10 says, You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I'll say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generally, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, David predates James by over a thousand years, but he understood if I want the grace of God, I've got to be humble. Because he watched with his predecessor how God opposed Saul who was proud and said, you've rejected me. You've rejected my word. Therefore, I reject you from being king. He knew that. He understood that. He had witnessed that. And he didn't want to do that. So God, I'm going to be humble. I don't know why you forgave me of Bathsheba. I don't know why you forgave me for numbering the people. I don't understand it. But God, help me to keep being humble. Does that make sense? Amen. Verse 7, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice what comes first. If you're resisting the devil and he's not fleeing, you might want to check the first part of verse 7 and make sure that you're humbling yourself before God. God's a God of order. I don't mean to take away from spiritual authority or dominion that God has given us as children of God. I do believe we can speak with that authority given to us by God, but I also believe in the order of his word. And if it ain't working, I need to figure out why. I need to troubleshoot. Brother, Brother Chris Kahn, you're, you're a lot smarter than I am when it comes to vehicles, but, but you can troubleshoot. And if you hear a certain sound or you smell a certain smell, you can begin troubleshooting in your mind, well, that's probably your radiator, or that's probably this hose, or that's probably that thing. You can begin troubleshooting why it's not running optimally, right? We understand that concept. Last night, we we're, we're uh, almost home. We had stopped in just outside of St. Uh, Joe, actually just outside of Kansas City, rather, to, to gas up one last time. And uh, so we're probably maybe 40 miles from Council Bluffs on 29. And my wife says, uh-oh. I'm like, uh, what do you mean, uh-oh? <laughs> what just happened, right? And, and I can't find my phone. And she was trying to do the find my thing or beep it from her watch and it weren't beeping. And she's like, oh no. I said, well, probably the last place we just were was the gas station. So if we will, we'll call them and, you know, whatever. I said, well, bring up your iPad and, and, and look on there. And, and so she, oh, I can do it from my iPad. Yeah, and so we started troubleshooting. So we, she clicked the button, and all of a sudden, you know, we hear the, the, the distinct ding going on. And it had felt in between her, her seat, you know, down into uh, on the floorboard. And so we could hear it, and I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus, you know. And then she said to me, she says, if we wouldn't have found it, if it would have been there, what would we have done? I said, well, uh, thank God for you know being Apple stolic. We we <laughs> and and Joe, you helped me with this a few years ago. I you know figure some of this stuff out. He was my on-site you know Apple coordinator. I didn't need to call you know Apple Care. I had Joe Care. But uh, anyway, call. call i Joe one day, and he's like, hey, he's like, so I figured out how we could do all this stuff and learn how to do it. Well, I said, well, we would have just shut it down right from, from the find my thing. We could have, you know, turned it off. We could have put a, a call me number on it, whatever. We could have saved your, your information and all that. And, and I said, that way you wouldn't have lost any of your stuff and anything that's in your online wallet wouldn't have been, you know, whatever. Oh, okay, you can do all that. And any, my point was we were troubleshooting. And if we have to, I'll call tomorrow after church. We'll get you a new phone, whatever we got to do. But that's what we do. We troubleshoot. We, we, right? You understand what I'm saying? Well, okay. Both of those examples and illustrations to show you that if, if you're resisting the devil and he's not fleeing, start doing some troubleshooting. And go right here. Uh, am I being proud? Because if I'm proud, God's going to oppose me. I want grace. I need to be humble. And, and therefore, I need to first humble myself to God. Then resist the devil. Makes sense? It goes on, verse 8, come close to God and God will come close to you. I think some of us are waiting on God to come to us first. But God's wanting us to take the first step. Wash your hands, you sinners. That's really a good uh, uh, um, thing right now with COVID, you know. Maybe not the you sinners part, but we'll say you citizens. How about that, you know. (laughs) But yeah, wash your hands, right? Pure, what? We know that's somewhat literal, but it's metaphorical. Cleanse yourself, right? Get rid of that pride and arrogance. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. (laughs) It works every time. And this is what David is doing. He's admitting to God and to Israel that he's not haughty in his heart. That's emotional. He's, his eyes are not lifted up in arrogance. That's physical. And he doesn't exercise himself in matters too high for himself and unwisely. That's spiritual. What he's saying is, at the end of the day, I am just dust. God is praised. God is exalted. And he humbles himself. So if you'll be like David and like James and humble yourself before God, it will be super easy to resist the devil. Why? Because he's the polar opposite of humility. He is lifted up in pride. He is lifted up in arrogance. He's, he's the embodiment of those things. And so when he sees us humbling ourselves before God, I believe it's the act of that that resists him. Amen. Amen. Did you know even Jesus humbled Himself? Philippians tells us He humbled Himself becoming obedient to the death on the cross. And He's our supreme example. We are called to be humble and we know that the way up is down. You see, with God, things are are interesting. It's why I say often it, it, it may not make sense, but it always makes saints. You know? The corporate world tells you the way up is step on people, you know, and cl- keep climbing. God says, way up is down. Greatest among you is servant of all. <laughs> oh, you want to save yourself? Then become a loser. Right? You got to lose yourself to save it. Am I in the Bible or not? Right? So if anybody ever calls me a loser, I'm like, you're right. Capital L. In fact, I'm a double loser. Right? Right? And by being a loser, I'm a winner. I've gained something because I've lost something. Oh, hallelujah. It's better to give than to receive. I mean, think about it. From day one, it's all about receiving. Receiving. We don't cognitively remember it, but parents remember. Everybody's coming in and they've got a onesie and this and that for the new baby and the first birthday and the second birthday. And it's all about me, 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 me. But it's better to give than to receive. It don't make sense, but it makes saints. So don't be duped by the carnal ways of this world that are in opposition to God. Secondly, trust God honestly. Verse 2, surely, he says, I have behaved and quieted myself as a child weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Here, David is revealing that he's going to trust God honestly through the process. Infancy to childhood to maturity. He reveals that he wants to maintain a childlike faith in God. That even as he does grow and mature into adulthood, he never wants to lose that childlike faith. We do know that a weaned child is one who has learned contentment. Obviously a newborn, an infant, is always uh, wanting to uh, have things you know, given to them, done for them. There, there's a sense of impatience and restlessness. And I get that's a part of their development process. But the word weaned here is the implication that it's come to completion. It's, it's ripened and, and it's moving on into maturity. And that's what he's saying. You know, I used to be this way here, but I've now grown and developed. And I'm going to trust you honestly, even in the ongoing processes. It means growing and maturing in God. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, and again, I'm going to read from the New Living translation today. It says, now these are the gifts of Christ, Uh, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord Watch this. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Let me just interject something right here. The measurement that you want to use is right here in the Word of God. If you're not measuring up to this, then start measuring up to this. Amen. This is what counts. We all have preferences. There's probably people in this room that like Fords. Lord help you if you are. I'm just teasing. There's some that like Chevy, some that like Ram, Dodge, you know, right? Some people like, you know, football. Some people hate football. I mean, there's preferences abounding. Some people like to, you know, wear suits and ties. Other people want to wear blue jeans to church, you know? I hear an amen over here. Is this the amen corner? Okay. Right? And... But preferences are not what we measure up to. Uh-huh. We measure up to the fullness and stature of Christ. See, let me, let me explain it this way. Um, can I borrow you, Sam? And Cynthia might as well borrow you, too. So, so uh, this, this part right here where I'm standing, we'll say that this, where the speaker is here, That's our beginning in God. Does that make sense? Everybody, this is the beginning. Okay, Cynthia, I need you to stand about where that second dot, whatever piece of tape is. And Sam, why don't you go like one in front of her over there. And face that way, guys. Face that way. Okay. So here's how we often do. Okay. I start my relationship with God, and man, it feels great. I'm like, wow. And I start taking steps, living for God. It's like, this is awesome. Wonderful. I'm living for God. And I'm like, well... Man, Cynthia's way ahead of me. Man, that's, I'm not as good as she is. I can't pray like she prays. Wow, she's look at her. She's dressed up. Here I am, just, you know, I don't have, you know, wow. Right? That's what we begin to do. Here's another risk that we do. This one turns around and says, hmm, yeah, look, I'm way ahead of her. You know, look at me. Huh? Wow. And that's why the Bible says they that compare themselves among themselves are unwise. So, so watch this. This is how we need to measure. You ready? Cynthia needs to say, this is where I started. This is where I am. This is how far I've got to go. And not worry about Sam or me or anybody else. Does that make sense? Because not every one of us are at the same place. So it's not about who's out in front. Because the race ain't to the swiftest. It's about saying, and if if I'm way over here almost to the finish line, I still need to look back and say I've come this far, but I've still got this far to go. That's how I measure up to the fullness of the stature of Christ. Not how far am I from them. Do you see it? Thank you guys. That's how we need to measure. And if we do it that way, if we do it the right way, watch what happens in verse 14. Then, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the others, other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I'll never forget one time, I was asked by someone, uh, and I, I don't have a Messiah complex, please. Please. I felt like what Jesus might have felt like when they were trying to trick him uh, with questions. And so the question was, who's the head of your church? Because we were talking back and forth and debating on, you know, why we have church the way we are as Pentecostals and all this. And I said, who's the head of our our church? Well, Jesus Christ, of course. And he goes, oh, oh, it's not David Bernard? I'm like, no, (laughs) he's an elected official of, of of a, you know, Movement of, of ministers, you know, of a, of a... I said, no, he's not the head of our church. I'm not the head of our church. Christ is. And it caught him off guard. He's like, oh, well, I, I thought you were going to say something else. I'm like, you thought wrong. I'm glad I disappointed you. Christ is the head of the church. But But watch this. I'll never forget the time I heard... I believe it was Brother Stoneking tell the story of a person that he, had, when he was pastoring in New York, who had um, become a uh, is paraplegic, all of it, um, right? Okay, they were paralyzed from the neck down basically. They they had skills to speak and all of that, think and, and but uh, paralyzed completely otherwise. And God actually healed the person. They they were healed of their paralysis, and they'd been in a, a motorcycle accident. God healed them. But the uh, young man later told uh, Brother Stoneking, he said that when he, he, there would be times he would say to his hands, reach out for something, and they wouldn't move, or his feet get up and walk, and they wouldn't do it. His, his brain was sending the signals, but his body was not responding. And when Brother stone king was telling this story all of a sudden something hit me from ephesians 4 if christ is the head of the church and we are the body of christ if we're not responding to the head then the body is paralyzed and if if the head is saying pray we better pray And if the head is saying fast, we better fast. And if the head is saying give, we better give. And if the head is saying go this way, we better go that way. Otherwise, we're paralyzed. And I don't want to be paralyzed. And so God, if we're paralyzed today, heal us of our spiritual paralysis that we can hear Your voice and respond obediently. Praise God. Praise God. David, again, preceded Paul by, by about a thousand years. But, but God's word in Ephesians 4 is what David is describing in Psalm 131 too. Too many equate their time of service. Well, I've lived for God 89 years. Well, good. Have you grown in those years? I don't want to have a one-time experience repeated every year. I want to have a true growth experience where I can say, I was here last year, but I'm here this year. I was there a couple years ago and there a couple years ago and I'm still going this way. That's what I want to be able to do. That's growth. Amen. If I'm not growing, I'm still, I'm not weaned. I'm still that newborn infant whining and complaining and being self-centered. But if I'm growing and maturing... That I'm a true son, a true son of God, led by his spirit. I'm going on unto perfection, as Hebrews 6 1 reveals. As Apollos was shown the way more perfectly, I'm moving into it. But if Apollos would have chosen not to believe what Aquila and Priscilla were teaching and would have refused to practice it, he would have remained immature and unweaned in the scripture, no matter how vibrant and excited. And zealous He was. The call to be humble means that I'm honest with God about my growth. And if I'm stagnant in my walk, then my humility and honesty compels me to make the changes necessary so that I please God. And here's, here's my summary of pleasing God. You ready? If it pleases God, does it really matter who it displeases? Amen. Amen. But equally... If it displeases God, does it really matter who it pleases? In other words, I'm going to grow in the Lord. And if I get mocked for it, if I get ridiculed for it, if I get persecuted for it, so be it, Lord bless them, lay not this sin to their charge, I'm growing in Christ. The third thing, trust God hopefully. Verse three, let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth even forever. David reveals here he's gonna trust God Uh, Forever, that he's going to trust God perpetually. He's connecting with God. He's growing in faith. He's serving others humbly. He's leading by example. And in this humble psalm, he's revealing that it's okay to trust our future with God. Amen, because he's already there. When Ezekiel was asked, Can these dry bones live? Ezekiel's answer reveals what it means to trust God hopefully. Lord, I don't know. That's too high and lofty for me. I see a skull over here and a torso over there. I don't know. But Lord, thou knowest. I'm trusting hopefully in you. So, the call to be humble and trusting God hopefully means that while you do not know what tomorrow holds, you know that God holds tomorrow. Corey Tinboom said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. The hopeful trust of God is revealed in Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to skip down to verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Hallelujah. If you're suffering presently, let... God revealed to you the worthiness of glory yet to come. Be led of His Spirit. Did you know being led of His Spirit is really, really simple? It's in Romans 8. And in verse 5, we find just how simple it is to be led of the Spirit of God. You ready? Ready? I didn't give it to you. I don't know, Daniel, if you can find Romans 8, verse 5 real quick. Let's see who gets there first. I'm giving you a head start, but all right. I guess I win. Daniel owes me a stake. Amen. Okay. Romans 8, 5, watch this. For they that are after the flesh do mind. That's a phrase that means set there. Minds. So we're gonna we're gonna use that phrase in the in the Greek. So for they that are after the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But watch. But they that are after the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. You wanna know how simple it is? What are you thinking about? What are you yielding yourself to? Are you thinking carnal things? Well, guess what's going to happen? It's like my grandpa used to say, you better be looking where you're going because you're going where you're looking. And that happened on the trip. Coming home, I'm driving. I look over and I see something all of a sudden, you know, on the rumble strip, you know, because you go where you look. It's instinctive. And so if I'm setting my mind, brother Samuel, on the things of the flesh, I shouldn't be surprised if I start doing the things of the flesh. But watch, the opposite is equally true. If I'm setting my, thing, my mind on the things of the Spirit, then I'm not going to be surprised when I start doing the things of the Spirit. It's not rocket science. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to go through Ministry Central and get ordained. It's really that simple. What are you putting your mind on? And trusting God hopefully He's saying, God, I'm going to put my mind on you. I'm going to keep it on you. Boy, there's an old chorus that, that some of the elders used to sing, sometimes in testimony service. Well, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. They would begin to sing it. And what they're saying is, you know what? I'm going to start the day thinking about him. I'm going to go through the day thinking about him. I'm going to end the day thinking about him. Hallelujah. So that's how simple it is. Just put your mind on the things of the Spirit. David and his call to be humble was to also exhort Israel through his example of childlike faith, trusting in God humbly and honestly and hopefully rather than choosing the arrogant ambitions of the flesh We know it's impossible to please God without faith. And so the believer, the born-again believer, must answer the call to be humble, putting their complete trust in God. Oswald Chambers wrote, there is no conceivable situation in which it is not safe to trust God. Why could Oswald Chambers say that and write that? Because God can't lie. And God can't fail. And God can't deny Himself. And His mercies are everlasting. They're new every morning. And all those other scriptures that we, that we lock onto and we, we hang our hat on, so to speak, and, and, and encourage us, that's why. So I can trust an unknown future. I don't know what the stock market will do. I don't know what the political realm will do. I don't understand how these things will all happen. But I can trust God. I might see through a glass darkly. But God is already in my future. So I can trust Him hopefully. Answering the call of God to be humble. Means that I have learned life's two most important lessons. Number one. There is a God. And number two, it ain't me. (laughs) Hallelujah. So who will join me? In trusting God, humbly, honestly, and hopefully. And to any scholar who might, well, it might be naive to think you would listen to my podcast or watch our live stream, but if there's any scholars listening, you're wrong. This is not an insignificant psalm. Let's stand to our feet. Lord Jesus, thank You for teaching us what it means to trust You. For showing us through the life examples of men like David, epistles like James, and others. Thank You, Lord, that You allowed these events and accounts to be recorded for our good so that we could learn. Thank You for creating angels that minister to the heirs of salvation to help us along the way. And God, when it's hard... When it's difficult, when we don't understand, help us to trust you. Help us to remember such messages as this one. Not because I preached it, but because you spoke it from your word. Help us to let these verses resonate with us that we put our minds on you and do the things of the Spirit. And we ask all of it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you. Let's meet back. Amen at 1120 and have some church.